You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us on an all-new episode of the Decoding Success Podcast. Hope you are doing well. Hope your family, your loved ones, your team, your friends, your group chat members, everyone in between, I hope everyone is doing well. I know we're still in this global pandemic. It seems like it's coming to a close, then new shit happens, whatever. We're not here to talk about news. We're here to spread positivity. We're here to engage on an amazing level of value and experience from an amazing individual to say the least. Today's guest of the day is Joe Hawley. Now, NFL star to say the absolute least, played with the Atlanta Falcons, played with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but he embarked on a journey after that, which is really, truly remarkable. And again, I say NFL star to say the absolute least because what he's doing today, what he has in the works is absolutely monumental. And that's not to say what he's already accomplished isn't monumental. This gentleman right here is bringing to you his experience, his values, his insights, everything that he's learned. He's bringing to this show Decoding Success to be able to amplify it to all of you. So you should feel super grateful, which I'm super grateful for you tuning in. I'm super grateful to host Joe and to be able to show you what he's bringing to the table today. So Joe, shout out to you, brother. Shout out to you, everyone that's tuned into this episode. We're getting into this in just a little bit. I want to give a huge shout out to our partners over at Acadium who are bringing remote marketing interns to you directly. No matter where you are in this world, no matter what type of project you have going on from a marketing perspective, you can find help on this platform. You've heard me talk about it. I personally use it. I absolutely love it. I use it in decoding success. I use it at 1B branding. I use it for my speaking engagements. Absolutely love the help that I'm receiving. And we all need help, right? Let's drop the egos. We could all use help. This is an amazing platform that will allow you to have your own remote marketing intern. So make sure you're checking them out over in the show notes of this episode. The pretty little link that says Acadium will direct you right to that platform. And before getting into this episode, I want to ask one more thing of you all. This content is totally free. I'm not sending you an invoice after you listen to this. I never do. And I never would. So with that said, the way that I would love to be quote unquote repaid for putting out this content consistently, I would love if you shared this, share this on an email, share it in your text messages to your family, your friends, your coworkers, your staff, your employees, your group chat members, everyone in between seriously share the value, the insights, because if this is going to impact you, I guarantee you it's going to impact the people you're in proximity with. And what better way to jumpstart your day? to kickstart your day or maybe to end your day than by impacting someone else. So make sure you're sharing this episode. That means the world to us here. If you haven't left a rating and review again, I'm going to kind of ask that of you as well, especially if you're tuned in from Apple, from iTunes, etc. And now without further ado, I bring to you my boy, Joe Hawley. Joe, first and foremost, man, I want to say thank you. Welcome to the show. I know we're in this quarantine and you're joining us. I appreciate it, man. So thank you for dedicating the time to be here with us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. Listen, I, I just gave you the rundown about how we kick off this show. So I'm curious, Joe, how do you personally define success? Yeah, it's been quite the journey. Um, it's definitely evolved over time. Um, I think success for me now is, is living life on my own terms. Um, okay. One of my highest values is freedom. And 
Um, you know, obviously I, I played football in the NFL for eight years and my definition of success at that time was a little bit different. I was chasing all the things that, you know, our society tells us, uh, what success looks like. And, you know, I've, I, I reached the pinnacle of my sport and I was still kind of unfulfilled and realized that, um, there's a lot more out in this, in this world than just, you know, money and success, like the definition of success that society puts on you. And I think living life uh, more presently and enjoying the things that I like doing for myself um, have been a high priority of, of late. Yeah, I appreciate you breaking that down and being transparent. So I'm curious, do you feel like it was that revelation of hitting the pinnacle in the NFL that made you realize like, hey, like I need to soul search a little bit here and find something more? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm super grateful. I feel like a lot of um, it's really hard the way our consumer culture and society from a very young age like portrays like what it is to like be a man, what it is to be successful, and if we don't meet that, we feel like we're we're lacking something and we're less than something. And I'm very grateful at a young age. I mean, I'm only I'm 31 right now, and I retired when I was 29. That I got a good amount of money. I got. I reached my dream of playing in the NFL, which is very difficult to do. And a lot of, you know, children dream of doing that. So I, I had all these things and I'm really grateful and really proud of myself. And it was an amazing adventure, but there was still something missing. Right. And, you know, I realized that it, it's, we all inherently have this, this void within us that we're trying to fill. And we fill that with many different things. And I think a lot of people will spend their whole lives chasing. And that's what we kind of get on this rat race and this wheel of, you know, that's why stuff is never good enough. There's always more to achieve. There's always more to accumulate. There's always more to accomplish. And so unless you can find balance within yourself on, on, you know, why you're doing it, why you're getting out of bed in the morning and having more of like a service oriented attitude, not doing it selfish reasons, but trying to give back until you can find that and fill that void within yourself, like all of the success and all the achievements and all the accomplishments are always they're not going to be fulfilling as you think they are going to be. And that's what I realized. And so now, you know, I really focus on doing the inner work on myself, trying to find that happiness and that joy and the equanimity and that freedom within myself. And, you know, I still get stressed out even like, even today, like I'm working on a new business I'm building and I'm writing a book, which is an overwhelming daunting task. So I still get overwhelmed and I still have things I want to accomplish in life. There's, I still want to make a lot of money. I want to, you know, for different reasons, not because I want to buy a bunch of cool stuff. It's more because I want to have this influence and this power to make change in the world. Right. So it's all these different perspective shifts of why you're doing it. I think trusting yourself and finding out really why you're showing up to do the work that you're doing or why you want to accomplish something or why you want to achieve something. And I think that evolves as we grow and it evolves as we, as we start to understand ourselves on a deeper level. hundred percent, man. So I'm curious, what is that inner work and what, you know, what was that, um, that like for you, uh, kind of leaving the, the dream that you had in the NFL and, and starting to go after more so the fulfillment route? Like, what was that like? What were you doing? Was it just sitting with yourself in silence? Was it asking yourself a whole bunch of deep questions? I'm really curious. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I think uh, my practice, like some spiritual practices like meditation, I started reading a lot and I started questioning a lot of the stories, like the deep stories about who I am, where I come from, you know, the, the, the systems that I was born into and the culture and everything questioning, like, why is that? Why is it that I'm doing these things? But, you know, my personal story is I, I got to my eighth year in the NFL 
And I knew that was going to be my last year because my seventh year, I was a free agent. I wasn't sure if I was going to sign back, ended up signing back for a one-year deal. And then I just, my body was breaking down. I was in a relationship that was, you know, in the, in a negative cycle. It wasn't, I was engaged. So it was like this, this woman that I really loved and I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And it just was a negative, non-fulfilling relationship. And so it came to a point, I, I ended up uh, separating from her like, a month before I ended up retiring and playing my last game in the NFL. So I was like, I went on this journey of, of having everything I had ever wanted. And then all of a sudden I just like my whole life, I kind of just like was in the rearview mirror and I was just left with this right. void. Like, who am I? And who am I without this game? Who am I without this relationship? And I needed to fill it. And so I wanted to experience that freedom. Like I talked about, like, what is it like to go explore this world without this kind of story that I created around myself about being a football player and this identity of who I had to be to show up. And so I ended up buying a van, I rescued a dog and I went on a road trip across the country for like a year and a half, two years. And while I was doing that, I just experienced a lot of amazing things. I got to experience the country. I got out and connected with nature. Um, and during that time, I was really questioning the stories and it like gave me like a whole perspective shift on reality. And, you know, we all, the beautiful thing about this life is we all have a profoundly unique perception of reality, like no two alike. Like if me and you are having this conversation, like you're having a different experience than I am. And so there's no two people having the same experience. So we got to question the stories that create the experience that we're living. And when we can understand those stories, that's where the, the inner work really is. And that's what it is. It's like, okay, why am I reacting to this a certain way? Why do I want this? Why am I working towards this? If I'm in a relationship and I'm triggered, like what is it that I'm doing or something that's happened in my past that's led to this? And so taking responsibility for where we're at in life. And when you do that, when things come up, like I was saying earlier, like today I'm a little bit overwhelmed with how much work I got going on and the things I'm going to build and some, some like, self-limiting beliefs that are coming up, some fears about, you know, starting a business and things I've never done before and writing a book. And so questioning those as they come up is the work, right? Rather than letting them take over and me go down the rabbit hole of like, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I, maybe I can't write this book, even though it's, it's going to take forever. I'm not good enough. And instead of like attaching to those, like being able to witness those thoughts come through and not attach to them, let them go and keep showing up. And you know, there's a lot of different practices that you can use. Uh, Meditation is obviously one that's becoming pretty popular in our society to find center. It's, a, it's an opportunity to train the mind. It doesn't have to be the spiritual woo-woo practice. It's actually a mental exercise, right? It's like a, going to the gym for your mind. Um, I think journaling has really helped me process these stories and process these thoughts, um, which has been really powerful. And then I'm getting really into, um, into questioning really everything. And it's not a, it's not an easy journey. It's not, it's not the work that's like, Oh yeah, I can do this. And like everything's hunky dory. It's like when you start questioning the stories about who you are and then the deeper societal stories and the programming that we all kind of inherit, it's, um, it's difficult work, but I think it, it's really the work that matters and it's the work that leads to inner fulfillment. And it's, it's the work I think, you know, with everything that's going on in the world with the pandemic and, you know, no telling what, you know, the next, you know, few years is going to look like, I think to really change the world, the only thing we can do is change ourselves and question mm -hmm. the stories about how we show up and how we're contributing to the way society is. Cause there's like some deep issues that need to be shifted and we can't force people to see the world a different way. The only thing we can do is work on ourselves. And what I've found is the more I'm working on myself and the more I shift my perspective, um, the world around me kind of shifts and it's really powerful. 
Yeah, man. Listen, I'm on a very similar journey right in this moment, actually. Um, I, I felt like I was in a very awakening state. I told myself I needed to start breaking the patterns and the habits I've had for 27 years that I'm unconscious of. Like, I'm, I don't even notice mm. it, right? So I put myself in therapy, not to fix myself, but to uncover it, right? And mm. hired a coach. And I, I just had my second yoga session. I mean, I played baseball and basketball at a pretty high level. And, you know, I never did yoga in my life. It's kicking my ass every time I do it, you know, just uh, doing some really cool work. So I really appreciate that. And it resonates with me on a super high level. And I think it's good to hear, especially from two dudes, right? You know, you mentioned earlier, like what society paints a man to be this macho bravo guy, like, I'll, I'll keep it real, man. I cried two weeks ago. It was fucking awesome. You know, like, yeah. when was the last time you cried? You know, like, it, it's, it's really awesome stuff. But before we get too deep, Joe, I want to kind of connect the dots here. I wanted to learn who you were in high school. You know, was Joe the jock? Was Joe the nerd? Was he the guy crushing natty lights at parties? Like, I'm <laughs> curious, like, who was Joe back uh, in high school? Good times, natty lights, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was, I would, I would say the journey kind of starts in junior high. I wasn't like a super popular kid. Uh, I had a few friends that were kind of in the neighborhood. I moved to Orange County, like in the middle of elementary school, in the middle of a school year. So I felt kind of disconnected. That's actually uncovering these deeper stories about who I am and how I show up in the world. Like one of them is I've always felt like an outsider. Like I've never really fit in. I never had, I was always envious of these like groups of friends that were childhood friends and they grew up and then they became adult friends. And it's just a really tight knit group that's always been in each other's lives. Like I've never had that. And so I've always felt this, like this outsider. And when I started high school, I really, for some reason, like I wanted to play football when I was younger, but I was always too heavy. And um, for some reason, I, I was like, I want to go out for the football team. And all my friends, I was like, hey, like, you guys want to go try out with me? And none of them were like, yeah, they all were like, no, no we're going to get killed. Like, are you kidding me? Like, that's the journey you're going to have to take on your own. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And like my brother, who is two years older than me, played football and he hated it. And like, like hated it, like despised it, like came home crying, like trying to get my mom to let him quit. And like kudos to my mom that actually taught me a real lesson at a young age. Like she didn't let him quit until the year was over. And, you know, if you go out and do something, you're going to stick to it. And so, but when I went out there, like the first day instantly fell in love. And it was about halfway through my freshman year. I didn't even know really like football, like what position to play or anything. It was about halfway through my freshman year. I was playing offensive line. I like grabbed onto this guy. And I don't know if you've seen the movie Blindside when he like just runs that guy like 30 yards downfield over the fence. Right, like, I had right. one of those plays, right? Like I just grabbed onto this kid and I drove him onto his back. And I like remember standing up in that moment. I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. I remember standing up in that moment and being like, that's how you play football. Like, and that's when I really fell in love with it. And then my, my sophomore year, you know, I started getting bigger and, and kind of more athletic and uh my coach was like you know you have a chance to get a scholarship if you keep like working hard and that was the first time anybody's ever really given me attention for anything and i like i was like dang like this is something i could really do and that was when the dream was born i was like okay this is something i can do and obviously it's a process and i think a lot of kids have this dream of playing professional football and i it's easy for me to say like yeah i've always wanted to play professional football but like it started off like okay i can get a scholarship and i can go to to, to university and so that was where the dream was born. And then I kind of, in high school, I like being good at football and being good at sports, I kind of got plugged in and like my friend group kind of shifted into like a jock and, um, you know, hanging out with a little bit more of the popular kids, but I still felt like I didn't grow up with them. So like this different group of friends, I felt like an outsider again. 
And so like that story kind of continued. Like with all the work I've done now, I realized like that's such a blessing for me to have so many different groups of friends. And I've never really been an outsider. I've just been somebody that's been able to connect with so many different types of people, which is actually a beautiful gift. Yeah, man. So definitely. So all over the place there. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It's all good. I think one thing I'm curious is like, what was it that made you fall in love? Like you said, when you got on that football field the first time and you, you know, you went at it, like you fell in love. Like what was it that made you fall in love? Was it like the power knowing that you were bigger than these other kids? Like, I'm really curious. Yeah, man. I don't, that's, that's a, like, as I played and I got better, obviously it was like, it felt really good to be good at something and then be receiving that love and attention. Right. Um, I think at a deeper level is that's something I've always craved. Like I was, I, my relationship with my dad, like he's, he's not a bad dude. He's been in my life, but he's just not a very present dude. And he's never been as present or loving or giving me as much attention as I've needed as a kid. And so when I got out there, it was like, I had all these male role models giving me like positive affirmations and good feedback. So that was like a deeper level that I'm just starting to understand. And writing this book has actually helped me uncover a lot of these deeper stories, like writing out that's the power of writing is incredible. But when I first stepped out on that field, like, I don't, I don't know what it was, man. Like, it's funny because my, my brother like hated all the cussing, hated all the yelling, like the coaches like, you know, pushing everybody. But like, I just remember being out there and like, whoa, like this is awesome. Like I love everything about it. And I just, I just don't know if it was like the team aspect or the way the coaches, like, I don't know. It just, I think it was like this soul calling, to be honest with you. It was like something bigger than I could even make sense of. I just like loved it. Yeah, man. That's so awesome. So what do you feel like are like, if you could put it into three things, like if there were three things that helped you get to the NFL, right? Which is a lot of individuals dreams, whether it's the NFL, NBA, MLB, WNBA, et cetera. Like, what do you feel like those three things were that contributed to you getting there? Was it the leadership of a coach or maybe a mentor? Um, Obviously you mentioned love. So I'm sure like having the passion and love for the game was a big help, but I'm curious, like, what do you feel like those three things are? Yeah. I mean, I learned so much, um, as my journey like progressed and without all the lessons that I learned along the way, I definitely wouldn't have made it, you know, like I think the big thing is discipline, like self-discipline and like pushing yourself. I think the ability to overcome self-living beliefs because every single player that's in the NFL in that locker room got there, had to overcome some kind of adversity. Like nobody there was like gifted. I mean, maybe a few guys were like, okay, this guy's going to be a a pro. Like he's just that good. But there's always these stories that we create, you know, even in life for, for whatever it is you're doing, it's like, there's doubt that comes up. There's people, external factors, there's blowing your knee out. You know, if I, if I had a dollar for every time someone said like, oh yeah, I could have made it, but I rolled my ankle in high school. It's like, okay, like I blew my knee out. Right. (laughs) Right. So like everybody has these things, but it's like, everybody's gone through that. It's like, what, what did you do to like push through that story of, of like, okay, now I can't make it and like continue to push it. And like, there's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different factors to make it like there's a, there's a little bit of like opportunity and luck. I mean, especially when you get to the NFL, cause there's only so many spots, right. but I, even when I got to the NFL, like I lost my starting job five separate times. And every time I lost my job, whether it was, you know, one year they drafted a, a center with the, with their first pick, the Falcons, he took my job. Um, then I, I worked all the way back and got my starting job back and then I blew my knee out. And then I worked all the way back and start starting job. My knee wasn't right. They ended up replacing me, cutting me. I went to Tampa. It's so like all these times, like I had to work my way back and it was taken from me. 
And instead of being like, okay, like I'm done, like I had to show up. And every time I, there was like such a palpable shift in my attitude of like focus, like acute focus, like, okay, if I want this, I got to dig, dig deep within myself to go make this happen. And so it's like, you have to have this, this confidence and belief in yourself that's almost unwavering. But at the same time, you have to have this humility of understanding that you never fully arrive. Like football is this, it's a, it's a fascinating sport actually, because you're always striving, especially as a, at a position like offensive line, you're always striving for perfection, but perfection is just an, an, an ideal. There's, there's no way you can actually reach it. So you're never actually perfect. So you're always, there's always something to improve on and work on. And I remember at one point in, in high school, like I started starting my junior year for varsity and I had a, f- a few really good games. I was like pancaking guys left and right. And I thought my shit didn't stink. I was like, Oh, this is good. And I was a junior in high school. And I started like walking around like, okay, like I, I figured this out. And my, one of my, my head coach actually like kicked me off the field one time and like put me down in my place. And I had this whole like moment where my whole career flashed in front of my eyes, like, damn, it's all over. And then he like had this talk with me, you know, it's like, and I was like, okay, I realized multiple times throughout my career, like, you know, especially in the NFL too, when I like made it to the NFL, finally a starter, and then they drafted a guy to replace me. It's like, without me knowing, like I felt so betrayed at that moment, Mm. but it's because in that moment I was like, okay, I've arrived. I'm a starter. I can relax. And as soon as I felt like I knew what I was doing and I made it like someone else replaced me or some, they find somebody else. So it was like, you have to have this balance of like, you're the best player on the field and you know it. And then I'm like humble enough to know that there's always more work to be done. Yeah. I think that finding that balance in life is really important as well, because you know, if you're too arrogant and you're, you're kind of come off as an asshole, people aren't going to want to work with you. You're going to think you're like a know-it-all, but if you come off as like kind of insecure and not really understanding and not having any confidence, but like trying to learn as much as you can, but you're never really putting anything in motion. So it's finding this balance of like, I belong here. Like I, I worked my ass off to get here, but I still have more to learn. There's always more to learn. Like, and then that's really the key to finding more and more success. Yeah, man. It's that underdog mentality. I think that's huge. Mm. You know, I, we'll get into that, but I'm really curious. You know, you mentioned that you peaked a lot of questions, actually, Joe. Um, number one, you mentioned that a lot of individuals that make it to that pro level have overcame a lot of shit, right? Mm. Blown out knees, limiting beliefs, et cetera. So you shared a locker room with, you know, amazing individuals. I'm really curious what that locker room is actually like, because you're in proximity of individuals that are on the same level, mentally, physically, et cetera. Like that's the top of the top. You played with Tony Gonzalez, Matty Ice, Julio Jones, the list goes on, man. Like, I'm really curious, like, what is it like being in proximity of that? Yeah, man, it's, that's a great question. Cause it's like when you're in a locker room with that many high performing individuals, it's, 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 it's really kind of creates this, like this bubble that you're like, you don't realize like you're one of the best in the world. Like a good story is I remember when I was playing with Tampa, um, and this happened multiple times throughout my career. Um, I remember Mike Evans, like Jameis was throwing, throwing a ball deep down the field, like a 50 yard pass and Mike Evans in practice, just like a normal practice. And Mike Evans like jumps over this DB who was like covering him like so good one handed grab over the top and like comes down with the ball. And it was just like the most perfect pass and catch. And I was just like, Oh my God, like, did anybody else see that? Like, this is crazy. And like, everybody was just like, kind of not really phased. Like everybody was like, yeah, good catch. And I was just like, and I just flashed back to all these times, like, 
you know, fourth quarter against the Seahawks when Tony Gonzalez, like, catches this pass over the middle for us to, like, go kick a field goal and win the game. Or, like, how many times Julio went down the sideline and just made, like, the most ridiculous catch. And, like, how these quarterbacks can throw, like, dimes, like, 50 yards down the field. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, like, they're the best athletes in the world. Right. And then I realized, like, holy shit, like, I'm, I'm out here with these guys. Like, I'm one of the best athletes in the world. And it's really, it's hard to like comprehend. And it's one of those things, like I said, like I'm always, I always kind of had this, like I felt like I didn't really belong with them. And I was always like trying to work to like make it. And as like an up and down career, like most guys you hear about on ESPN, like the Julios and Matts and Tonys, like they, they, they're, they got a pretty good job security. They're like the, the stars, but that's only like the top 10% of the league. Like most guys are grinding every day to try and make it and prove themselves. And I was one of those guys and, wasn't until I was finally done that I like was able to look back on my career and be like, damn, like I'm really proud of myself. Like I'm, I'm really grateful for the opportunity, but I, I mean, I lived it, man. I played eight years in the NFL and like, it's, I still like, it's, it's, it's quite the accomplishment. Yeah, man. That's the dream. That's the absolute dream. And you know, Joe, you, you've been one of, I want to say, three or four NFL individual NFL players that have uh, hopped on the show. And I've asked the same question. I, I've had, who do I, I had a few offensive linemen. I'm just really curious who was the toughest to keep away from the QB. Like we, we had um, Ryan Harris who won the Super Bowl with the Broncos on here. And he told me Terrell Suggs. He was like, Terrell fucked mm. me up. He yeah. said Terrell fucked him up, like broken <laughs> foot. Like, is he still playing? Toes. I feel like he's still playing. He, he's ageless. It's crazy. Oh my God. He had like a, he was like a 10 year vet when I was a rookie and he's, I played eight years retired and he's still playing. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm curious. Like who do you find or who did you find the most challenging to keep away from the QB? Yeah. I think as an offensive lineman, like a good way to judge this is uh, like, who do you lose sleep over before like the game bef- the night before a game? Like great way to frame playing? it. Yeah. Cause like, you know, like I've had in those games, you usually show up and play some of your best games. Cause you have to like, you're, you know, the worst is when you go and you're like, Oh, I'm playing against this guy. He's not very good. And then you give up two sacks because you're like not on your game and then you get embarrassed. Right. So you gotta be like, that's another thing with the NFL is like, everybody is so good. So you have to be on your game all the time. But I would say for me as an interior guy, it was um, – it was um, oh, my God. He's been, oh, Aaron Donald from the Rams. Oh, my God. Yeah, big guy. Like nothing worse than a third down, third and ten, going up to the line of scrimmage as a center, knowing that they're in a three-down defense and you've got Aaron Donald lined up over you and both your guards are, are going to help the tackle. So it's just one-on-one situation. Like, I, I had that a couple times. We, we played the Rams, I think, my last two or three years. And, man, he is so good. Like, so good. And the thing that's scary about him is, like, if I'm in good position and I, I have a guy locked down and I get, like, a good punch on him, like, it's usually over. Like, because I have a really good job. Like, I can keep my body in between them. They might be able to get some – I'm not a huge guy, so they might be able to get a little bit of push on me, but I'm really good and balanced. The thing with Aaron is he can, like – go from one move instantly into the next move. And so like, I'll have him locked down. I feel like I'm in good position. And the next thing I know, he's like over here going by me. And I'm just like, man, so you have to really just keep your feet moving. And yeah, he's the whole package, man. He's a real deal. That's crazy. That's crazy. So let me ask you, you know, eight years in the NFL, physically you told me you were breaking down, but how did you let go mentally, right? It's not easy to, to let go of, your dream in a sense, right? Like mm. I'm really curious what that process was like for you. Yeah. I think that's a process I'm still working through, man. Um, do you ever you know, have the, the desire to go back into it? 
there's been a few times of like wondering what if you know like i was playing in tampa when i walked away and now tom brady's there i'm like that'd be dope as shit to be tom brady center <laughs> like maybe i can you know gain 60 pounds to go back and play um yeah i mean there's always there's pieces of the games that i really miss um i loved the actual games like i loved the competition i loved when there was no coaches out there it was just me and my teammates just the pure like competition getting in that huddle and that like there's very few opportunities like in the, in the journey of an NFL like you're spending thousands of reps in practice with the coaches behind you critiquing you constantly being judged and there's only 16 games each year and like only 60 plays per game right mm-hmm. so like there's very limited opportunities for how much work goes into those plays and so when you're out there on the field there's no coaches there's no media there's nothing you're really right. worrying about in sick that pure competition and you like get into this flow state right and and connection and and competing with guys and like going to battle with guys that you put so much time and effort in and like when you're rolling and you're successful like that's like it's really fun it's really fun when you're losing it's really really shitty because it's like it's all about winning and losing but yeah, man. Um, there's pieces I miss. I think, you know, part of me, I was really like worn out of it. Like my body was hurt at the end of my career. Um, there's a whole thing with like this kind of bad taste in my own mouth from the doctors and the injuries and how much I gave to the game. And I felt like, you know, my last year I kind of lost my job again. And, you know, the O-line coach at the time I did for the Bucks, I didn't really get along with them super well. And so I just felt like, I was ready to like, I kind of the, a piece of getting in the van and traveling the country was like, I want to leave that behind and like go, like just forget about it for a little while. Right. And as, as that's kind of come to an end and I'm like working on what I want to bring and what the work I want to do in the world is like all that kind of unprocessed emotion from letting it go has kind of come back. And uh, I've realized that, you know, the transition process is not like a, a fixed like year or two or five years or something that you go through. It's something that you need to integrate into your life because I'm always going to be a football player. Like that's, that's always was my dream. That's like a piece of who I am. And it's not something I can just run away from and like our work through and then like figure out who I am now. It's, it's something I need to integrate into who I am and how I move forward. And so it takes a little bit of like grieving the loss of it, allowing it to, come back and honoring, you know, and being proud of myself for all the things I did. And it's, it's a journey. I don't think it ever is going to end. I think there's, you know, going to be times when I'm, you know, 20 years from now being like, man, you know, back in the day when I did this or I played this. Right. And so, yeah, it's definitely a process. Transitioning is difficult. That's one of the things I'm working on the business I'm working on um, called the heart collective. I want to build a, like a higher consciousness community for former male professional athletes to help support them in the transition process. Um, you know, provide coaching, small group coaching and kind of redefining, like giving them a safe container to process what they're going through because as a professional athlete, it's really hard for normal everyday people to relate to that, what that experience is like. Right. You know, and I think if you're, if you're struggling, it's like, go see a therapist, but like a therapist isn't, isn't help. Like they don't understand, like there's no relatability or there's nobody that really understands what you're going through. So I want to build a, a com- community and a container of guys that can support each other on the journey because they all know what it's like and they all know what it's like to transition the, the difficulties, you know, it's hard for a normal person to have any empathy for a transitioning professional athlete. They go, you got money, you retired at 29. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean? Life's You're killing hard? It. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just this, like to make it that far, you have to have the singular acute focus 
and nothing else matters and put so much time and effort and sacrifice and work into it. And then like dream about it and like just visualize it. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's gone. Right. And it's, there's times better days and then some days are better than others, but it's, it's still a lot. I mean, I'm still working through it. Some days I wish I could just you know go back and, but you can't, you got to move forward. Yeah, man. I hear that. I appreciate the transparency, man. And I also really, really admire what you're doing with the Heart Collective. I want to start amplifying the message of what you have going on currently, right? So after you transitioned out of the NFL, you started the Man Van Dog blog. If I'm saying it right, it's a little bit of a tongue twister. That was good, yeah. (laughs) I want to make sure that I'm not messing that up. Uh, Obviously, you said you got the Heart Collective and you're you're launching a book. So tell me about each of those and, um, you know, let's make sure we're amplifying this. Yeah, when I first uh, decided to do the road trip, it was I wanted to do it for a few months. I knew, like, I, during my football career, I always wanted to be a coach. Like, I love football that much, and I got to a point, like, my sixth or seventh year in the NFL, I was like, okay, I'm footballed out, and I was like, I don't want to be a coach anymore. And so I was like, well, what do I want to do? Like, how can I, like, what do I want to do with my life after football? I started thinking about it, and I just really connected with the idea of creating something like creating something out of nothing and birthing it. And so I really got into entrepreneurship and business. And so I started reading a bunch of books, trying to prepare myself. And, um, so when I started the man van dog blog, it was kind of like this first go, like I wanted to take part of the trip was like, I wanted to take a break before I dove into whatever was next. I knew like it was going to take, you know, a lot of time and effort. And so I was like, right. I want to experience this like little transition phase where I can go experience for freedom. That turned into a couple of years and like this kind of finding myself journey, which is different. But then I started the man van dog blog. I started a little LLC to be completely honest was so I could like write off the gas mileage, <laughs> right, like kind of right, see right. the back end of how business works. I hired like a little branding agency to like create the logo. And so it was just like a way, a fun way to get me like kind of my toes wet into the business world and like creating my own thing. And then um, ESPN wrote an article about what I was doing and um, then USA Today wrote an article. And so kind of like a lot of people started following my blog and like follow me on Instagram. And it kind of turned into this big thing where like I was inspiring a lot of people by what I was doing. And that was not my intention. Like I was just like, I feel like it would be cool to share like what I'm doing because I know a lot of people like wish they could go on a road trip and not have to worry about work and like take this time off. And so I was like, it's kind of feel responsible to share the journey so people can come along with me. And then that kind of turned into you know, me like inspiring people, which inspired me more to like keep doing and sharing. And, um, so that kind of led into one thing led into another. I I ended up, um, trying to start another company. It was like this, this macadamia nut butter company. I invested some money in that. And that was like my first real go at business. And I learned a lot. The company ended up falling under and, and not working out, but it's kind of like, you know, I know a lot of, uh, the business books I read, it was, the big kind of overarching theme of all of it was you kind of just have to start. Like you can't, there's no substitute for experience. Like, and all the books were saying the same things. And I like, I understood it conceptually. It's like, you have to go learn it and do it and you'll learn as you go and just fail fast, learn fast, fail fast, learn fast. And so that first business, I like learned so much. And so I don't take it as a loss. Like I know that that's going to be something I take with me as experience. And, um, you know, as I was traveling, I started, the, the, the van trip started slowing down. I started realizing, okay, I can't do this forever. I want to really start making an impact and showing up with the work that I'm supposed to bring to the world. And I had, I had trouble figuring out what that was. It was, it was difficult. I had to do a lot of self work. And, um, I realized that, and we talked about earlier about the transition and how difficult it was. And I was a guy that 
walked away on my own terms and um, I kind of was really footballed out and I still struggled with the transition. Right. And I, and so I, I can only imagine how difficult it is for a lot of guys that go through this. So I really felt called to help guys, help teach guys and coach guys through the process and the, and the work that I've done. And I realized that a community is the one thing that's really missing that, if I could have, if I could have retired and plugged into a community of guys that are doing similar things, um, just trying to figure it out. And I could have got support through that. Like that's, you know, would have been amazing. And so like any good entrepreneur knows he's an opportunity it's missing. And so decided to build it myself. And so that's what I'm working on now. Um, uh, spending a f- few months, the last few months trying to get it going. Um, and my focus right now is really the book and, uh, the book is, a daunting task, something that is a lot taking a lot more bandwidth than I, I originally thought. I, I wrote a whole manuscript out. I'm, I'm working with a writing coach. Thank God he's helped me so much. Um, but I wrote a whole manuscript and, you know, I was writing it. It's kind of, it was like two stories in one. It was like this, this guy who wanted to help the transitioning athlete and coach guys and share the lessons of the road and, and football and like my journey. And then there's this story of, the man van dog blog where I went and got in this van and it was like, it was just this amazing journey of experience and freedom. And so there's like two different books. And so I decided to focus on writing the storytelling book about the van trip, because I feel like that's Mm -hmm. really what my soul is being called to do. And it's very a nuanced process because it's not like, you know, I can write these lessons that I've learned real time. It's like, I have to drop into who I was, when I decided to give all my stuff to charity, buy a van and hit the road in that moment and take my reader on this journey of growth, but I can't tell them how I grew. I have to show them how I grew through my storytelling. Right. And so it's really nuanced and, and it's really quite daunting. And it's, you know, I'm not, you know, I think it's kind of, kind of cool talking about self-limiting beliefs. Like, I mean, I used to tell myself I was not a good writer and a funny story. Uh, when I first started the man van dog blog, I was going to do like a written blog. And I was like, yeah, everybody's doing a blog. This will be good. It's a travel blog. And I remember before I hit the road, I was sitting down and uh, wrote out this whole thing, took a few hours and I went back and reread it. And I was like, man, like I sound like an idiot. Like that's, that was terrible. (laughs) And so that's when I decided, you know, screw the writing. I'm just going to stick with like kind of what I want to do, which is I started doing YouTube videos and vlogs and I'm just, I had a little bit more creative eye and like I did some editing in high school. And so that was just a lot more fun for me and creative. Right. And like I stayed away from the writing and it wasn't until about a year and a half ago, I started really journaling. I read a book called, um, the artist's way and I talk okay. about the morning pages, which is like a stream of consciousness journaling. And so even I had resistance to journaling before because I would judge myself as I wrote, right. I would write something out and be like thinking if someone read this, I would sound stupid. So I'd always try to make it sound good, but then it wasn't really like me processing my thoughts. And so, this stream of consciousness journaling reframed my mindset of just writing what came, comes out of my mind, not, not trying to edit it out, just trying to write. And so as I write it, wrote, I started realizing, or started practicing every day. And I started like changing that, that belief about not being a good writer. And actually even at the end of every journaling session, I would write, I am a good writer. I am an Mm -hmm. author. I'm going to be like these positive affirmation statements. Right. And the most, fascinating thing happened. Like as I was writing these, these journals every day, like I started realizing like my writing would start flowing and I it started sounding kind of semi-coherent and I started sounding actually pretty good. And that was like a year and a half ago. Now I'm like fully confident that I'm going to write a book. 
So like there's this, this quite, right, quite right, a journey. Right. And so there's still a lot to work through. Um, but it's, it's just a fascinating process to really push myself past my limits and my comfort zone and what I think I'm capable of. Right. And it really challenges me to show up every day and try and like question those beliefs. And so I totally believe I'm going to write this really amazing book, but it's, I mean, I'm in the weeds of it right now. <laughs> well, listen, you're grinding it, grinding it out, man. And, you know, we yeah. could always, uh, we're definitely our own worst critic at times. You know, I, I resonate with what you said. Like you write something and then you're like, oh shit, like this sucks. I, I totally get it, man. I totally get it. But I'm curious, you know, on the road trip, what was your favorite place to visit? Oh man, there's so many amazing places in this country. Like, Right. I don't think people realize how diversely beautiful this country actually is. I mean, there's, you got the deserts, the mountains, the Pacific Northwest, all the different kind of beaches. And, you know, I liked visiting all the major cities as well. Like there's just different vibes for all those. Um, I think one of my, my most impactful moments was in the Grand Tetons in Wyoming outside of Jackson Hole. Um, and the reason that is because it was kind of like synchronistic how I got there. Like I didn't really know where I was going and um, ended up seeing a, fr a f one of my good buddies, brother's best friends who I'd met only one time in San Francisco. And I was like, I'm kind of headed back East to Colorado. Where should I stay? He's like, well, my cousin lives in Nevada city, like a few hours away. You can stay with him. So I went and stayed with his cousin who I had no idea who he was stayed like a few days there with them. They like showed me around and I was like, yeah, I'm heading you know, back East to Colorado. I got something going on. They're like, well, you should stop by Grand Tetons. I had never heard of it. So I ended up driving up there and I stayed there for like a week and it was just like the most beautiful scenery ever. And it was just one of those moments that, which is kind of like a microcosm of what the entire trip was, was like staying right. open to the lessons that were in front of me, not trying to be so rigid and trying to create the trip, but letting the trip unfold through me and having that mindset, you know, and, and that surrender, um, really taught me a lot, especially about life too. Like, you know, life, the one thing that I know for fact about this reality we live in is that it is all impermanent. And a lot of the times it's not going to work out exactly how we imagine. So having this ability to surrender into the flow of what's happening and not being so attached to these rigid outcomes, but being able to stay open. And I think when we do that, like magic, that's where magic happens. And it leads us in these amazing directions. Like if you asked me five years ago, like I'd be right here right now, like so much shit's happened in the last five years that I could not have planned for. Right. So like for the next five years, why would I try and plan so much? And it's kind of a paradox too. Cause like a lot of the successful people in business books say like, you need to have a goal and you need to have a vision goal, to work vision. towards. Yep. Yep. So I think having, I think that's where this, this, this concept of like having an intention, like what's your intention? Like what, what do you want to be like? Let's say in business, like what is your intention? What, what do you want this company to do? Cause you know, you, you know, this as well as anybody, like when you create a company, even if you have an idea, like it's never going to end up exactly how you imagined it because you have to like, you know, see how the market's going to respond and like, well, maybe this thing didn't work out and you got to pivot here. And it's just constant like problem solving. And so the same thing with life, like what do I want my life to look like in five years? And I'm going to have an intention for that. And I'm just going to like set out in that kind of like direction but I'm going to be allow like life to flow through me and allow it to guide me in the ways that are unseen and untold by me, but they'll lead to that intention in the long run. 
That's beautiful, man. I, I agree. You know, surrender, that was a huge word you used, man. I'm all about that. But we, you talked about business. You mentioned business earlier too. What do you feel like was the biggest lesson, if you could only pick one, like the biggest takeaway from that, I believe you said macadamia nut um, yeah. business. I'm curious, like uh, you said the company went under. Listen, man, it happens, right? We, we yeah. see it all the time. But if you could only take away one thing from that experience, what is it? Um, it's It's really, I think like working with people, like relationships, it was, is, you know, I had a business partner and, and realizing, I think setting kind of, um, roles and expectations beforehand. Okay. And, um, yeah, really like, and when, and cause I'm like coming from this investor perspective for a lot of these companies and that's what I really, I, I that expectation there was, I was going to be more of an investor role and, my business partner wasn't as savvy business wise as I thought in the first place. So I think number one is due diligence, like make sure you know what you're doing yeah. and like who you're working with. Right. And really take time to do that and be patient. Um, and you know who you're investing in. I'm realized like as an, in a, more of an investor role for a lot, like I'm investing in a few different companies now and I've realized, and the biggest lesson I learned from that is when I'm investing is I'm in, not investing in an idea, I'm investing in the people because really there's so many different ideas out there and everybody has an idea like entrepreneur or not. Like everybody's like, Oh, this would be a cool app or that'd be cool. And like, yeah, there's, there's millions of good ideas, but it's really about who's going to execute on them and execution is key. And it's really about the person that is doing the executing. And so if you can believe in them and gamble on them and invest in them, that's really the more important piece than the actual idea. And like you want to believe in the idea and you want to make sure it's, it's a valid thing, but it's really about investing in the people and, uh, and who you're working with. And yeah, I learned that. a lot about that. Good, good, good. Listen, as long as you're learning, that's what matters most. Now, Joe, I want to respect your time. I have a couple more questions for you. First one, I want to make sure you're enjoying this experience here on Decoding Success. So uh, I know you do a lot of podcasts. What is a question you wish more people would ask you and how would you answer it? Oh, man. That is a good question. Oh, it's a selfish one, right? And I, I could already tell you're you're rather selfless. So, um, you know, whenever I ask this question, people are like, "Oh shit!" Like I got to be selfish for once, you know? Like I'm just really curious uh, what comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, I like I like. I mean, I'm st- I'm working on starting my own podcast now called Quantum Coffee, and it's it's about discussing the unanswerable questions of the universe. And I've always had this 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 seekers mentality of trying to find the truth. And so I, I, I love discussing like, and uh, this isn't like relevant to a lot of different podcasts. Right. But I just love like, what's the meaning of life? Like, why are we here? Like these are the conversations I enjoy having and I have them regularly with people that I'm close with. But you know, if, if I'm having a conversation with somebody at like a party nowadays and we're not talking about like really in-depth conversations, it's like, I can see, like, it just doesn't add value. Right. So I think, yeah. Like, like asking the deeper questions about like reality. Cause I like, and the work that really matters is like questioning these things. Right. Yeah. Because everything else is just a part of the game. 100%. Like we're, in a, we're, we're in a game. It's a really detailed game. It's, it's really fascinating to think about how detailed it is. And, but the systems that we are born into, like, you know, even our government systems, our financial systems, our education systems, our healthcare systems, like some people never question it. So they're born into this structure that we're all born into, but none of us decided this structure, but people before us decided it. So it's all made up and we have 
the ability to make it up a different way and shift 100%. it and change it. And I think the more people that can start questioning the bigger things about what reality is and start thinking about these things, you can realize, okay, it's a game. How can we make the game better for everyone rather than being born into a system and be like so rigid and attached to the way these ideas mm -hmm. are, you know, it's like if, if things need to burn down for them to be rebuilt, like it's happened countless times in human history in just modern human history, no telling how many iterations of time are before that. So I think questioning these bigger questions of reality will help people open their minds into like, you know, we are all a lot more similar than we are different and stop being so attached to these beliefs and these ideas and trying to open our minds to possibilities and problem solving towards the future. Agreed. You know who would be a great guest on that show? I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kyle Maynard. He, um, he, army crawled up Mount Kilimanjaro. He's a quad amputee, no arms, no legs. Um, he won what? ESPN's. Yeah. He's a beast. He's an absolute beast. And, um, he's phenomenal. Like not only Mount Kilimanjaro, the, the tallest peak in Argentina, I forget the name of it as well. Yeah. Um, absolute beast. He gets deep on those levels, man. If you want, I'll connect the two of you. He's phenomenal. He's, he's I would love that dude. I would love that. I appreciate that. Yeah. He's amazing, man. But I want to respect your time here. I know I need to know what is a piece of advice that was given to you that you didn't want to hear at the time you received it, but ended up proving to be true. Oh, that's another good one, man. Um, piece of advice, man. I mean, I can't think of like a specific thing, but one lesson that's really struck a chord, which I've been thinking a lot about lately. And it's kind of like this first step of awakening and it's taking responsibility and ownership for where you're at in life. And I had this moment in, you know, it was my third year in the NFL. I told you about uh, earlier in the show about how they drafted with their first pick in 2012, the Falcons drafted the center. And it was like blindsided me because I went into that off season thinking I was, you know, our, our old center had retired. I was the next in line. I was like, this is my opportunity. I'm going to have my long, this long career. I'm going to be the starter next year. And they drafted this guy. And that whole year as my third year in the league, I was playing the victim. And I was pointing the finger at everybody except the man in the mirror, right? Like I, I was like, my coaches didn't like me. My strength coach was kind of a dickhead. And I, I, he didn't allow us to go in there and, and work out extra. And especially like the younger guys. And if you weren't starting, he didn't give you any, like any love. And the head coach didn't like me and this, that, and like, you know, just pointing the finger everywhere. And I got to a point where, um, I ended up getting suspended for four games because I, I took some Adderall and I didn't have the proper paperwork. And I was like kind of just in this downward spiral that whole year. I was like going home drinking. I ended up not even dressing that year. I barely made the team. And it kind of all came to a head when we were 12 and two at one point and um, coach called me into his office and they ended up cutting me. And in that moment, I was like, holy shit, like I'm going to be on the streets without a job and all these people I'm blaming for not giving me an opportunity that I thought I deserved are going to continue on with their lives, trying to achieve their own dreams. And my, my dream is going to be squandered because I was waiting for somebody else to give me an opportunity or, or show me that it was okay to like want it more or like work yeah. hard for what I wanted. Right. And so in that moment I realized like, it's not about, waiting or expecting someone else to give me what I think I deserve. It's about going and making it happen for myself. And 
you know, long story short with that is they ended up uh, having to move a receiver to IR. I had a, a pretty deep conversation with the head coach and the GM. They ended up keeping me on the team and they said, we're going to keep you as the 53rd man and we'll give you an opportunity to work your way back on this roster. And like in that moment, I promised myself and it was a real turning point in my career and in my life. I was like, there's going to come a time when I'm not playing in the NFL anymore, but I do never want to feel with the amount of be filled with the amount of regret I was filled in that moment because I knew that I could have given more and it was my, my fault that I was going to be on the street, not anybody else's. And that right. little flip of the switch, I showed up every day and I worked my ass off and I went through another few little things up and down. Like I worked my, it took me a year and a half. I worked all the way back up to becoming the starter and rechanging those perceptions of, of the coaches and what they thought of me. Right. And I had to like really work hard through that. And as soon as I got the starting job back, I blew my knee out. And I was like, damn, I have to start all over again. I worked my way all the way back. And so, but I, I always, that little perspective shift where I was like, finally took ownership of where I was at. Like when I blew my knee out, like, yeah, I could have been like, oh, this happened, that happened. I was like, all right, let's, like, let's get to work. Like, this is, this is my lesson. Like, and so I think once we learn to take responsibility for where we're at in life, and we stop playing the victim and, and letting external circumstances affect how we feel internally and, and where we're at in life, then I think the world's going to become a lot better place to live because then we're all looking in the mirror rather than looking outside ourselves. Yeah, man. Radical responsibility. That's huge. That is huge. So Joe, last question for you. Um, you know, you mentioned podcasts coming out, book coming out, you're doing other shows. If you could only give one piece of advice through every channel that you're going to be on from here on out, what would that piece of advice be? Mm. I would say enjoy enjoy it. Enjoy like it. Slow down and enjoy it. Yeah, man. Like the I process, right? Like there's everybody's trying to get to some perceived destination, but it's not about the destination, it's about the journey to the destination. And the only real destination is death. And then we're all headed there. So I think enjoying the journey and the experience that we're blessed with having. You know, all the ups, all the downs, all the the heartbreak, all the achievements, all the accomplishments. You know, I know once this book comes out, like, I keep thinking and reminding myself, like, I'm going to be so proud of myself when I have that book copy in my hand. Like, I did this. But the hard and difficult part is enjoying all the work right now and getting to that point. The and that's where all, the all that, yeah. Yeah, and that's that's where the work is, and that's where that's what that's life. That's what life is. And that's yeah. why we chose to be here to have that experience. So enjoy it while it's here. So slow down and enjoy it. I love it, man. Joe, I wish I could dap you up. I'm gonna have to dap you up virtually right now. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate you hopping on here, man. I really enjoyed this conversation. Glad to be able to amplify it. I'm gonna make sure that all of your social handles, website links, all that good stuff can be found in the show notes of this episode. But I just wanted to express my gratitude one last time, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it too. Anytime. Boom. And there it is, ladies and gentlemen, from my guy, Joe Hawley on the Decoding Success podcast. Make sure you're connecting with Joe. You can find all of his social handles, his website, everything he has going on in the show notes of this episode. You don't even need to stop listening to it to be able to do so. Make sure you're heading over there right now to check him out. Again, I want to give a huge shout out to our partners over at Acadium that are providing everyone that's tuned into this show right now, a remote marketing intern. We all need help in some capacity. Make sure that you're tapping into the resources that 
are available to you, especially ones that are trusted. I'm telling you, I use them myself. Otherwise, I would never have partnered with the company. So make sure you're checking that out. Again, share this episode as a way to pay it forward. Make sure you're paying it forward. If this episode was a value to you, which I guarantee it was in some capacity, make sure you're sharing this with your friends, your family, your coworkers, your employees, your staff, your group chat members, and everyone in between. Now, until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace. 